In this series, we're learning how to pray from the Lord's Prayer. If you'd like to grow in your practice of prayer, you can find some basic resources on our website at citizenselmira.ca under the resources heading. Prayer for a little bit here, talking about the concept of prayer, like Darcy mentioned earlier this morning. And um, it's, been a, it's been a good week for me to be sitting in this idea of prayer. Uh, it's been encouraging, it's been convicting to think about my own prayer life, to think about what it means to pray, what it doesn't mean to pray. And um, I've just been so encouraged. And so I hope that this morning as we're talking through it, that um, the Spirit will be with us as we think about what it looks like to communicate with God Almighty, which is a pretty incredible thing if we think about that. So Darcy, uh, when he was talking about prayer in the first two sermons, just doing a little bit to jog your memory here, he talked about prayer as a disruptive presence or a disruptive force. Uh, And I wanted to think about that just a little bit as we start thinking today about the verse that we're in uh, and and this idea that prayer is something that can be countercultural. Prayer is something that is disruptive in nature and that when we look at it throughout Scripture, we see that prayer is something that God is using in the world to accomplish His means. This quote was used a couple Sundays ago, but I want to use it again because I think it's so important. It's coming after a conversation about Revelation and John's vision, Uh, but Robert Mulan says this. He says, The result is thunder, voices, lightning, and earthquake, all biblical images of the disruptive presence of God in the fallen world. John's vision is a powerful representation of the nature of prayer. Prayer is the act by which the people of God become incorporated into the presence and action of God in the world. So it's really what I want to start with this morning is this idea of presence of God being both disruptive and uh, a forward motion in the world. So you think about what a disruptive force looks like. Um, We will probably be talking about this for the next 50 years, but COVID, right, as this disruptive force in the world. 2020, I'm a barista at Starbucks in Cleveland, living a very different life than I am now. Um, and uh, I remember this elderly gentleman coming up to me and making a joke. He's like, did you hear about this, this virus in, in China that's going on? And he's like, ah, oh, every year there's a new virus that's going to change the world. And we laughed together about how hilarious that was. And, and then uh, a couple weeks later, I'm driving to the grocery store thinking maybe I should be wearing a hazmat suit and not sure how this is going to go. And I remember I, I got some gas uh, and I went into a, a local convenience store in Cleveland and I grabbed a bag of pretzels or something, and I got into the car, and without thinking, I just opened the bag of pretzels and started eating. I remember my pretzels like halfway to my mouth, and I'm like, I didn't sanitize or anything, and I was just in a grocery store, you know, and I'm freaking out, and this is just a couple weeks after joking about this virus, and well, the rest is history, right, and we know exactly how that all went. So there's disruptive forces that hit our world all the time. This is nothing new, right? It kind of cracks me up when I see like millennials going like, we've lived through the most uh, like insane time ever. You know, we had like the 2008, we had September 11th. Like, yeah, those were all big things. Uh, But this is not the first time in history that incredible monumental things have happened. Empires have risen and fallen. Um, Huge things have gone down. The world is a dynamic place where things come and go. Just thinking, I was just kind of looking through, I just looked at a timeline of the world and thinking kind of since Christ, 
big things that have happened, disruptive things that have happened. Um, really, you have from the time of Christ until I'm standing here now in 2023, if you look at the world, it just kind of goes like this. You have empires rising, the Roman Empire, it comes crashing down. You have feudal empires all over Europe, they come crashing down. You have the British Empire, which birthed us, which didn't really come crashing down, it just kind of more quietly um, became less and less influential over time. And now you could say we live kind of in the shadow of the American empire uh, with whatever that means uh, in 2023. And so things change. There's disruptive forces that, that turn our world upside down. On kind of a, a more smaller level within our country, um, there's things, or within North America, you think about um, the, the civil rights movement in the United States as a disruptive force that moved against tyranny and oppression. Um, it happening over years that people calling for change um, and today, different movements and uh, people thinking about things like child labor or mining practices in developing countries that strip those countries of their resources, and people rise up in those countries or, or in other places to say, we want to change, we want to see something different for our community. So a disruptive presence. Today's verse is incredibly disruptive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness. It's a pretty loaded word. When I say the word forgiveness to you this morning, there's probably a lot of things that come to your mind. Maybe stories from your life. Maybe stories that you're in right now. It's a loaded word, like I said. And the question, well, we've got to ask a few questions with this verse, but the first question is, what does it mean to forgive? A bigger question from this verse is, what does it mean to forgive our debtors? And what does it mean? Maybe this is the biggest one. What does it mean that God forgives as we forgive? Movie from 2004, so it's older. Um, yeah, I was like, get to talk about Denzel Washington for a second. Um, <laughs> it's called Man on Fire. It's a little more obscure than some of his other movies, so you may not have seen it. And I'm not wholesale supporting this movie. I saw it a long time ago. I don't remember what's all in it. But I do remember a very key scene. Um, and uh, in this movie, he's, uh, like many of his movies, he's a hit man who's uh, retiring, and it's his job to protect this little girl uh, of a rich person. And so he's protecting this little girl, and she's kidnapped out from underneath him. And, of course, he takes all the responsibility on himself. And the whole premise of the movie is him making sure that everyone who did that pays the price. There's a scene in the movie where uh, he walks into an apartment building uh, in the middle of the day, and it's uh, where the cartel is going to be driving past. And he walks up into, like, the third floor, and he just walks into a room, and there's an elderly couple sitting there. And he just says, I need your apartment. And they just kind of look at him. Uh, he walks up to the window, and he just starts setting up a bazooka. And uh, the elderly man just kind of watching him, and he says, um, you know, in church, they say to forgive. And Denzel kind of pauses, or the character that Denzel is, and he says, as only he can, he says, forgiveness is between them and God. It's up to me to arrange the meeting. And uh, that's one way to think about forgiveness. <laughs> I don't think that's what God's talking about here in the Lord's Prayer. In a kind of much more serious story, on April 19th, 1995... Timothy McVeigh drove a truck under the Alfred P. Federal Building, just as the offices, offices opened for the day. Before arriving, he stopped to light a two-minute fuse. 
At 9.02, a large explosion destroyed half the building. It killed 168 people, including 19 children in a daycare center on the second floor and injured 684 others. That's a picture of him there on his way to his court sentence. I, don't I was too young to remember that day, and I'm sure there's many of you in here that do remember that day, uh, but I do remember the day he was executed in 2001. Um, I think I was in, in elementary school at the time, and it made international news as well. Shane Claiborne was talking about this, and he said the, he was telling the story of Timothy McVeigh's dad. And he was talking about another guy named Bud Welsh, and he said his daughter was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing. And when it happened, he said, I wanted Timothy McVeigh to fry, meaning the electric chair. He said, I would have killed him myself if I could. But then the Spirit of God really started to work in his heart, and he saw Timothy McVeigh's dad on the news. Timothy's dad was weeping, and he said, I recognize those tears. It was like looking in a mirror, you know. He said, those are the tears of a dad. And he said, I, I, I realize that I'm going to remember my daughter as the woman that she was. But Timothy McVeigh's dad, is gonna, his son's going to be remembered as forever stigmatized. And so he said he got to know Timothy McVeigh's dad. And he said, when I hugged Mr. McVeigh, I never felt closer to God than in that moment. And they had this friendship that developed. And he was one of the people who was most outspoken against the execution of Timothy McVeigh. It's pretty impressive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So let's try to answer a couple of those questions I asked earlier. What does it mean to forgive? What does it mean that God will only forgive you if we forgive others? What kind of forgiveness is this talking about? Just a couple verses down from this in the Lord's Prayer, it says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. At face value, that's pretty terrifying. I think we know our limitations, right? Our sinful hearts are, like the song says, prone to wander, and forgiveness can be really hard for us. So I think we have to, we have to begin by taking the whole counsel of Scripture and saying what it doesn't mean. We have to do the simple hermeneutics or interpretation of Scripture interpreting Scripture. It means that when we read one verse like this, we've got to make sure that we um, contextualize it within the whole narrative of the Bible, meaning that if you are a Christian— then you know that the entire Bible tells us that we are not saved by works, but we are saved by grace alone. So there's a couple of uh, scriptures that make that clear to us. Ephesians 2.8 says that you've been saved by, sorry, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. Romans 6.14 says, for sin no longer is your master because you were not under the law, but under grace. And then in John 1, it says, Out of the fullness we've all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we know that we're saved by grace, that we're not saved by the things that we do, that the story of Jesus is one of a free gift, a free gift offered to us in his life, death, and resurrection, and that through his life, death, and, re death, and resurrection, it shows us just how much God wants to be with us. So there are, there's probably a couple other ways to look at this verse. And I want to be clear that um, I don't know entirely 
the exact answer to this, and I'm not claiming to this morning, uh, but just want to hold out what other scholars have said and, uh, on this particular verse. But uh, the Pillar's Commentary says the following. It says, this could be aspirational. And they put it this way. The prayer for forgiveness is qualified by, as we have forgiven our debtors, this surely must be taken as an inspiration, or an aspiration, sorry, rather than a limitation, or none of us would be forgiven. Our forgivenesses, or forgiveness, are so imperfect. And I think all of us in this room can identify with imperfect forgiveness. What it feels like to think you have forgiven someone, and then catch on, I maybe have not. You might think, yeah, I forgave that person for the hurt, and then you see him on the street, and you just feel it, and you remember it again. Or uh, you see their vacation in Hawaii on Instagram, and you're annoyed by it, and you don't even know why. You know, Forgiveness is imperfect in our sinful hearts. And aspirational is an interesting way to look at this verse, and, and that might be it, but there's a chance there's something deeper happening here than just aspirational. I've heard people talk about the entire Sermon on the Mount as aspirational, and in one sense that's true, but I think there's a bit of a danger in kind of calling the Sermon on the Mount just aspirational, meaning like, Jesus can do it, we definitely can't, don't worry about it, right? That's a bit of a, that's aspirational, yes, but I don't think that the entirety of what it means to live by the Spirit, as we're called to in Christ, is to just simply think that all of this stuff is aspirational. So in one sense, that's true, but in another sense, we're called to a life that lives under the blueprint of Jesus. And so potentially what this verse is talking about is a kind of severing that can happen in our communion with Jesus when we choose not to forgive. And there's a difference between our communion with Christ and our union with Christ. When you're saved by grace and grace alone, it says in the Bible that we are brought into union with Jesus, that our you know, we're saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, as the Bible says. But there is a chance that in the way that we live, we can sever our communion with Christ. The flourishing that Jesus has for everyone, if we walk in the blueprint that is held out for us here. And so when we think about uh, the, the idea of forgiveness... It could be said of this prayer that if you don't forgive others like God has forgiven you, you won't experience what it feels like to truly understand the forgiveness of God in your life. And you might be chained by resentment, by bitterness, by the kinds of things that can drag you down, the kind of like soul-sucking resentment and bitterness that can cause people to live a life of pain and hurt and loneliness. So think again about forgiveness as this idea of disruptive presence in the world. Think about Jesus. Think about his entire life, his his life that was lived kind of as an ethic of forgiveness in light of oppression. It's all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which we've talked about here before, this idea of, you know, loving neighbor as self. That in itself is the story of forgiveness. The story of the Good Samaritan is really a story of forgiveness, forgiving that person that you really don't like. And I want to talk uh, a little bit about the idea of forgiveness as well. I think it's important to clarify something about forgiveness because sometimes in the church, forgiveness can be used, and maybe not just in the church, potentially everywhere, but within church communities, um, forgiveness can be held over people 
and can be held over victims of trauma and abuse and wrongdoings as a way to not hold somebody accountable. I think that's important to remember when we talk about this idea of forgiveness. To forgive somebody is not to excuse wrongdoing in another person. Someone who's been abused to forgive does not mean that you are not uh, calling someone to account, that, that if it's a church, that they're not calling the person to account that has been hurting other people, that people aren't being held accountable for their actions. Um, to just forgive and move on sometimes is used, or I'm just going to let it go, um, can be a misuse of the word forgiveness. Because forgiveness is deep work. Uh, it's important work, uh, but it takes time. It was once said that forgiveness is not about forgetting. It's about letting go of another person's throat. So I like that visual. It's not about forgetting. It's about letting go of the person's throat. So like I said, forgive, forgiveness may not be forgetting. God does that as far as the East is from the West. But in our humanness, um, uh, it, it can be sometimes impossible to forget what has happened to us. Um, I like what uh, a man by the name of Dr. Storm said. He said, in most cases, the only way you can stop hurting is to stop feeling. And the only way to stop feeling is to die emotionally. But passionless robots can neither truly love God or others. And this may be the primary reason people are reluctant to forgive. They know they can't stop feeling the sting of sin against them. And they don't want to be insincere by saying they forgive when deep down inside they know they didn't. He's getting at the tension of what it means to be human. All right, that, that, it, it, that forgiveness is a process. That the idea that if I'm going to forgive as, as Christ forgave me... In my humanness, in my brokenness, it might take me some time to be able to get to the place where I can say, yes, I forgive you for what you did to me. And, and right on that, he goes on to say, in the second quote here, it is most often a lifelong process. However, forgiveness has to begin somewhere at some point. There will undoubtedly be a moment, an act, when you decisively choose to forgive it may well be a highly emotionally and spiritually intense and bring immediate relief, a sense of release and freedom. But that doesn't necessarily mean you'll ever need to do, never need to do it again. You may every day, may need to every day reaffirm to yourself your forgiveness of another. There are things that happen in our lives and people's lives that are incredibly hurtful and painful. And like I said earlier, if we have a, a, um, a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is, it can be a way to just bury something and move on. Um, but forgiveness, as we think about as a kind of rec reconcile reconciliation kind of thing, looks very different. It looks like what Dr. Storm is talking about here, that it's a lifelong process, that the next time I see that person in the street, it hurts a little less. And that the next time that I speak to someone, I'm able to pray this time instead of just walk away and breathing angrily. And maybe this is why Jesus told us to pray that we would forgive. And maybe that's why Jesus is so intense here about what forgiveness is like. Because he knows how hard it is for humans to forgive each other. And he's telling us, look, God has forgiven you and me. And he knows that it's counterintuitive for us to forgive in the way that he forgives. But forgiveness is really, like I said, the disruptive way that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. Think back to the two stories I told at the beginning. Yeah, the first one's just a movie, but it's 
also a reality in the world, right? So much of the war and the violence that we see in the world is an eye for an eye, right? So much of the, the things that we see that happen in communities and spaces are because of an ethic that says that whoever's strongest, whoever's biggest gets to win. And no, I don't have to forgive you. I need to beat you. But a, a Jesus ethic, a kind of following of Christ, is that disruptive presence that turns the world upside down. And forgiveness matters to Jesus because that's kind of why Jesus is here. That's kind of why he's walking the earth. In becoming God as Emmanuel, God with us, he's showing us the ultimate power of forgiveness. Remember Jesus said about, was it seven things from the cross? Uh, but, but, but the one thing that he said was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, right? In that moment, he's, I used to always think as a kid when I heard that, that he was speaking specifically to the Roman soldier at the bottom who nailed him to the cross, right? Like, forgive them, they don't know they're doing that. And in one sense, he is, right? But more than that, he's telling everyone around them, nobody here knows what they're doing. It's the Jewish leaders that are railing against me, even the disciples who ran away. They don't know what they're doing to me. But I know what's happening. So, Father, forgive them. And in that sense, he's leading up to the final combination of it is finished in the forgiveness. So, in the death on the cross, forgiveness, and the curse in the garden that has held us captive, the garden, the first garden, uh, Garden of Eden, is being lifted in the forgiveness of Jesus. And so, when we come to Citizens every Sunday, we gather for that reason, for that reason alone and, and the, the culmination of that, that there's some really good news. Forgiveness has come through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And an outpouring of that is the way that we treat each other, is the way that we forgive when we've been wronged against. You know, when I tell you the story of Timothy McVeigh, you, you probably feel like I did that immediate, when you hear what he did, that immediate like, yeah, I feel exactly what that father feels. He should die. And in a sense, justice does belong to God, and God will hold Timothy McVeigh accountable for what he did. But, that when, but then the, the flip side of that is when you hear the story of the man who lost his daughter, isn't there something in you that goes, wow, wow, that's, there's something disruptive about that, that you would hold the dad of the killer and that together you would come together. That's forgiveness, and that's what Jesus is talking about that flows from what he did down to us. So we are human. We are weak. We can be angry. We can be fickle. But Jesus has showed us a better way, a way to forgive, a way to live different, and a way to be within the forgiveness of him that we can hold out to the world. We're doing communion this morning, and I'm gonna transition into a time of communion here and just talk a little bit about that as it relates to this particular topic. Um, the worship team can come up while I'm talking about this. Just before all this happened and Jesus died on the cross, he met with his disciples in the upper room for as Reed called it the other day, the last meal. <laughs> so he's like, is that the last meal? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, and he took bread and he took wine, which we have representations of that here this morning. And he held it up and he said, this is my body given 
for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for you. I was thinking about what Paul says about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read verses 27 through 32. Paul says this. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we will be disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. There's a lot of things going on in those verses. Uh, If you want to know exactly what they mean, then you can ask Darcy. (laughs) Um, There's a lot in there. But what I was thinking about as I was reading that this morning, and I was thinking about forgiveness... When we come to the, to the table of the Lord's Supper to remember his life, death, and resurrection, what it means for us that are believers, it would appear that Paul is saying when you come into the presence of Jesus in this communion table, examine yourself. Look at your heart and soul and think about your relationships with your brothers and sisters. For us that are like regular attenders here at Citizens, that could mean the people in our community groups, the, the people that we interact with. What's, how are our relationships with them? Further than that, I think the, the question could be just across the board, your relationship with your family members, with the people that you interact with every day, with that one colleague at work that you're just like, I'm going to walk the other way in the hallway because then I won't see them. Um, we all can, can think about that, right? We can think about the people in our lives. And so as we come to the communion table this morning, as we come to remember Christ, to participate in what Christ has done. I'm just for myself, and I invite you as well to examine yourself and think about your relationships with other people. Are there places in my life where I have not forgiven like Christ forgave me, where I thought maybe I did, or I'm harboring some bitterness or resentment against somebody in my life? To just take that to Jesus, the one who forgave everything, and from the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The people that have hurt us don't know what they're doing either. They're sinful just like us. And so we can hold out, as Christians, we can hold out the forgiveness that was given to us in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, what we're doing here is we're celebrating the good news that Jesus Christ came and stood in the gap for us and that he offers this freely to everyone. For those of you that are Christians, this is our time to celebrate to remember and to reflect the good news of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his offer of life now and the life to come. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your forgiveness on the cross. Thank you that um, although we live in a broken world, although we know how fickle we are. We know how quick we are to forget what you've done for us. We know how quick we are uh, to forget that our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, deserve our forgiveness and our love. God, would you just help us as we think about what might be inside of our hearts? 
we are so easily distracted and we are so easily quick to, to hold anger and bitterness. And so I just pray that uh, if there's any in my heart, God, that you would reveal that to me this morning. And as we participate in this mystery that is communion, would you just again imprint on our hearts how beautiful you are, how incredible the story that we get to participate in is, and that the disruptive presence of forgiveness could flow from Citizens Church individually in our lives and corporately as a church. Name, amen.